Welcome to StellarCast, the Stellar Recruitment Podcast. Let's go on an inspiring journey. By listening, learning, and taking key actions from our own recruitment experts, as well as industry leaders and inspirational individuals. By unlocking our own transformative change, we can all become the best versions of ourselves. Right, guys, we're really lucky to have uh, two inspirational and very decorated but very humble individuals join us here today uh, to talk about, uh, I guess, their journey in the mining industry and also what impact it's had on them and how they've uh, built their careers. So I've got no doubt you'll enjoy the takeaways. Uh, I could have been on the uh, podcast with them for hours, but we had to limit it to uh, to around about an hour, but uh, there's some wonderful takeaways. Both gentlemen have had a big impact in the industry, so I really hope you enjoy the insights that they share. Thanks for listening. Firstly, guys, really appreciate taking the time at your busy schedules to, to join us. I think uh, it's true that we're all passionate about the mining industry, and I think uh, the mining industry definitely needs a bit, of, a bit of PR, I think, at this particular moment in time. And I guess really the, the audience we're sort of focusing on within this, uh, you know, podcast is those individuals that might be considering a career in mining to sort of shine a bit of a light on on what a career in mining can bring. But I guess also those individuals that are already in the mining industry that may wish to follow in similar footsteps to yourselves and sort of understand, you know, how you guys have built your careers as well. So uh, I'll get you guys to put your humbleness aside to, to hopefully unpack some of that stuff but um yeah firstly thanks for, for taking the time to join us so we might just sort of kick off with the first question and uh, and that's really around i guess back to the origins and, and maybe we'll start with douglas around you know your your original thinking about why you chose a career in mining yourself so the the inspiration to join the industry is um is quite basic actually it was out of primary need um, my background, if I go there first, which to set the context, is uh, I come from Africa. Uh, origins were farmers up in Africa, and due to the war at the time, my grandparents lost land, and my dad went into the mining industry. And when I was um, at home, we farmed part time when my dad worked in the mining industry. And when I went to uni, I studied mechanical engineering first to intentionally go farming. And but went to the mines to support my parents in my studies. And that's where I think I fell in love with the industry. And it's primarily the people. I found very, very real people underground in the gold mining industry in South Africa. They called things the way they saw it. They were very passionate about what they did. And they were intimately interested in looking after each other's welfare. And that's something that's quite special about working in the underground mining industry. So the people were the primary attraction. The secondary was the scale of it. You know, as a mechanical engineer, I was allowed to work on a chilling project where we were trying to create an artificial working environment for people below 1,300 metres at that stage. And the virgin rock temperature was so high that we were using as much electricity to cool the air going into the mine as what Soweto as a city was using to cool the city. So the scale of it was intoxicating. I just found so many opportunities to advance my learning and development and quickly found that my interest shifted away from the aspirations of going farming into mining. But it was that 
that original meeting of the people in mining that really captured my interest. Fantastic. And, and what about yourself, Darren? Oh, that's an, that's an awesome story. Um, and look, it does resonate with me quite a bit because I think what will come through a lot today is that, you know, mining is about the people and you know, the people in the industry make it a great industry. And uh, once you get into it and meet those people, you can just get hooked and, um, and stay in there. So, look, um, I was uh, born in central New South Wales. So um, my dad was a teacher at Cobar High School, so which is quite a, a strong mining place. But you know, we weren't a mining family or didn't know a lot about mining. But I think those years that you know my parents spent in Cobar left a bit of an imprint on, on the family. And when I was sort of in high school and, and looking to, to start university, I knew I wanted to do engineering, but I didn't know what type of engineering. And you know, I went down the path at looking at different engineering disciplines. And one of the big things that, that stood out, like my dad was saying, look, I think I know you, you're a, you're a very practical person and the mining industry is going to suit what you're after because the practical application of the engineering theory is what will appeal in the in the day-to-day working life. And, you know, as soon as I got into into mining and started studying it, you know, that ability to, to be on site, you know, to work day-to-day with all different types of people from, you know, the operators through the managers and the ability to get that fast feedback. So one thing I love about mining and, and you know, mining engineering in particular is, you know, you might do a design on a day shift that gets implemented on the night shift. Then when you wake up the next morning, you get the feedback from that design and what it's done and then create a new design off the back of it. So it can be a very dynamic and, and interactive sort of environment rather than just, you know, sitting in a capital city and doing designs on a computer that might not get implemented for years and years. That fast feedback is is really what got me hooked on it and sort of never looked back from there. Yeah, some good answers there, guys. And then I think uh, in particular, I guess, uh, you know, using the scale and context that Douglas talked about uh, in terms of that energy demand uh, or if, if not the, the practical application and, and solving some of those problems and getting that real-time feedback's great. And, uh, and I, uh, further to, I guess, the, the people component, which shone through in both your answers, also seen in a recent ABC review of top-paying professions or occupations, mining engineering come in at number eight. Um, so it's right up there, and I guess what I'm trying to tie back to, maybe that initial decision for Douglas to go into the mining industry to support his family, I think there's a lot of career upside in terms of, of a career in mining, and it's uh, fulfilling as well, like you touched on, Darren. But I think the, the remuneration, the rewards to set up and support families is a wonderful thing as well, and I think that'll only continue. So I, I'm sort of keen to maybe go back to you, Darren, and, and sort of ask that question around career advice and, and maybe ask you, have you ever received any, you know, in particular, any advice that um, that really shone through and, and sort of made, made a big difference in your career? And, and has there been a, a career move or decision that, that has served you particularly well and why? Yeah, look, awesome question. And one thing that, that really resonated with me, and it's funny because it was only said to me maybe 10 years into my career and I sort of worked out that I'd followed it for the first 10 years of my career, which is that... You don't work for companies, you work for people. So, again, it's back to that people-focused side of things. But it's something that is relevant, you know, definitely across all industries. And it's one of those realities is that once you get into the day-to-day life of your job, 
the people that are going to have the biggest influence on you are, you know, the people that work directly around you within the organisation and what the culture of that organisation is, which is going to be set by those people. So, you know, the, the people, and I think in particular the ones that are, you know, maybe one or two rungs above you on the ladder, these guys have a huge influence on you and your career and, you know, these are the people that will sort of show you the ropes, uh, they'll train you to do more, they'll give you opportunities, they'll, you know, inspire you on a day-by-day basis to get better and do more. And um, by having those people around you and by, you know, focusing on and latching onto those people, you get the most out of, out of what you're doing. And, you know, I've definitely followed that for my career and, you know, a key theme has been, you know, finding the people that you have a great sort of two-way relationship with. And, you know, I guess the, the part of it that, you know, can't go underestimated is that it is a two-way street. So you have to deliver for them, you make their life easier, and then they give back to you by giving you opportunities, by, by developing you. So, you know, if you find someone like that in your career, then, you know, you go back to the money thing, you could go maybe to another site, make an extra 10 or 20 grand a year. But what that does in terms of setting you up for a future job, it's actually taking a step back. So really finding those people that you can work for, work around and get that opportunity through, that's going to be you know a huge driver of your own development. Well, that's a fantastic answer. And, and I think yeah, it's interesting that you raise that Probably the, the thing that we're seeing most now in the hyper competitive market, there's no shortage of, of opportunities for, for great mining folk at the moment. I think the big thing that's shining through is their desire to understand who they're working for and what their merits are and what their personality is and what their vision is and then attaching to that because I think if you get that, uh, I guess, that chemistry right with that person that you're reporting into and inspiring and that person that can take you on a journey, I think your career can accelerate and it can be a lot more fulfilling much more than just simply the dollars. So I think that's a that's an awesome answer. So keen to, to sort of throw to you, Douglas, to sort of see what your sort of take on that question is around, you know, career advice you might have been the recipient of uh, or any career moves or decisions you've made. Um, reflecting on the career advice, for me that comes up so often and probably it's a lot about where I've taken or chosen to take my career as an engineer is in leadership goes back to the same old farm in South Africa with the team that I was working with with my dad and I was a young lad and quite often tasked to take some of the team off and do a different task on the day because we we're trying to get seven days of work done usually on a Saturday and a Sunday on the farm. So as a result, quite young, I was uh, put in a leadership role and, and held accountable for the task by my father. But In reflecting upon the time that I had there, I probably learned more from the men I was working with than um, any formal education I could have got from leadership at that time. And a statement my father made to me once when things were probably not going as well as what I expected in results delivery for him on the farm was leadership is a privilege and it comes with accountability. And I think when you step back as a leader and you you start understanding that that it is a privilege and your role is there to serve others and give them context and give them understanding of why a common goal is the right goal or why we're going there, but I'm here to help you get there, more importantly than me getting there, you start really fulfilling your purpose as a leader. And whenever I start finding challenge in leadership, I reflect on those lessons learned that those men taught me out in a dusty old field 
and uh, draw on that. And I think that's a, a strong learning that has stayed with me through through my career. Probably the best move I've made in my career is one, the genesis joining the mining industry, albeit maybe a little bit not by intent but by need. It has offered me so much. And then a lot more intentfully is my move internationally. Uh, getting to a point in my career in South Africa at that stage where uh, options were available to me, but then out of the blue, this international move was presented and uh, grasped with both hands to come and learn and clearly loved it because I'm still uh, going on 16 years later. But learning from another culture, learning from the way in which different engineering challenges are solved, learning from how different people think, uh, and then in the career that I've had working globally has been very good for the way in which I tackle problems and problem solve myself. That's great to see you had that emotional intelligence or EQ to sort of identify the learning opportunities as much in that dusty field as you could in executive education, and often that's the case. So I think that's uh, that's good. And I want to pick up on the back of that answer, Douglas, and in, in you know, basic terms, you, you arrived here from South Africa 15, 16 years ago, and it's my understanding you're at that sort of project management level on arrival. You fast forward to today. Uh, I guess the simple question is, and putting your humbleness aside, what do you credit for making that possible? And, you know, really, it is a very short space of time. It is, and it's amazing when you sit on this side of the eyes and probably the audience that will be listening to this podcast, you think it's such a long way to go, but it happens so quickly. Yeah. You sometimes still think you're back in those boots, but uh, it, it's a flash of time before you realise that you're in, in a role like this. I think mostly is um, three key areas if I, if I think it through. One is the willingness to follow, to understand that you've got multiple stakeholders, the people that work for you, the people that fund your investments or uh, your aspirations for the business, uh, society that the business is trying to serve in the market, and trying to meet the need of those but with a clear intention with a strategy behind. So where's this business going? What is its purpose? And how do I serve those different stakeholders? But right next to that is being clear of mind about where your purpose sits within that. Um, so what do I bring to the table and what do I need from others to make what I bring to the table more successful? And I think part of that is knowing who you are and being honest with yourself. And for me, one of the things that I, I do is I work hard. I ensure that I put my ears back and I understand things. I have been blessed with skills of uh, being able to do engineering and I can spot patterns and I can see trends and then coupling that with other people's thoughts and then working it hard and reworking it and facing the challenge that comes and finding a solution to overcome those because they come thick and fast, particularly in a services style business that I'm in that you're trying to meet a client's need in, a, in an evolving market. And then I think the, the last is that little touch of magic, the, the luck that one gets in your career, that you're the right person at the right time and the sliding doors open and you've got people around you that are supporting you into that role. And that might be a hand up sometimes. It might be people from behind pushing you into that opportunity. So I'd say those are the three key things and in it, was equipping myself the best possible way I could on the way through. So 
early on, Daryl described an inclination for maths and problem solving. So STEM subjects is where I found myself at school and that equipped me initially in my studies. And then thereafter, it was realising that if I wanted to lead a business, I need financial education. So I equipped myself in, in that manner. And then subsequently, I've been trying to learn as quickly as I can as things move and knowledge changes from the best thinking around me to keep on equipping myself and then as a consequence association of the right people that will enable me uh, instead of holding me back. Was that always a conscious thing, building that portfolio of skills to enable maybe a vision to come to reality, Douglas? Or was it more about sort of striving to reach your potential or what, what sort of drove that awareness to acquire knowledge? For me, there was intention behind what I wanted to achieve, how I could contribute with the skill set that I knew. But, for example, when I speak to the graduates within TIS and our grad program, I always reflect, relate back to what I know best, and that's the truth about myself. I didn't really have a career plan until my wife sat me down one day with a, a plan to have a third child and say, hold, hold on. Uh, you're taking on this next opportunity that's going to move our family around the world. We need to sit down and reconsider where we're at. And it was a really good moment for us as a family. We sat down, Joe and I, and we, we planned out what's important for us as a family, what's important for us as two individuals that we both had careers and we both have aspirations, and how do we enable that and what were decisions we wouldn't make or would make. And since then, the plan has changed and evolved, but we've got an essence of a plan that we're both committed to and we help each other through through our careers. But I think that was the first time that I became very intentional with my own career, where until that point, I was quite intentional about equipping myself for my aspirations versus my career. Well, I think it's a, it's a bit of a tangent, but I think it's a valuable one. I think uh, the mining industry and probably ambitious people in general often there's a downside to that and that is lack of alignment i think on a family basis so i think having that alignment and and good on joe for taking the lead on that to to sort of figure out the intentions and and the objectives of the family and how your career can contribute to that and get alignment i think it's much more sustainable for all parties if there's a bit of a, a collective vision around who's doing what and what it's all for because I think unfortunately in the industry one of the downsides is uh, despite the wonderful upside sometimes you know there's not always that alignment and uh, collective view on what it's all for and the purpose for it. Absolutely and I think the other is honestly again about what you want out of it because you've got one life to live um, and if you're blessed to have a partner or family you're going through life with considering them on the way through otherwise it becomes a fairly selfish endeavour. Uh, the one life that you do have. But one has to also be honest is if you take on roles, uh, like the kind of roles that people will be listening to this podcast about, it comes with a lot of opportunity and great outcomes. You spoke about the remuneration, but there are sacrifices. Getting a great education means you've got to work hard and you've got to sacrifice on that side all the way through to my biggest sacrifice of my family is time at the moment. I pretty much work seven days a week. The company runs 24-7, so I've got to balance that all, all the way through. And if myself and my family aren't honest with each other that there's a time sacrifice, we won't treasure the time that we do get together and maximise that so that it all finds its balance. Otherwise, I couldn't do my job well and I would be sacrificing what's important to me with them. So one also has to look at 
the return on investment in your career as well. Absolutely. So I think uh, whilst we might have uh, different jumper colours that we follow, I think Richie McCaw, he chooses not to see it as sacrifice. He, he chooses to see it as a choice. Yes. And I think you, you're choosing to embark on that, but I think you're choosing to embark on that to the betterment of your family and, and the collective vision for the family Absolutely. on that side. So I think that's a, that's a great answer there, Douglas. Well, just throwing over to you, Darren, uh, the, the story of Northern Star is remarkable when you sort of look at the the journey and just sort of looking back over the, the stock chart over the last 10 years based on my basic appraisal, it's gone from somewhere around about $0.26 cents, uh, a share to a peak of more than $15 last year. It's been quite remarkable, um, that sort of journey. So I'm keen to understand, you know, from a career or a finan- and or financial point of view, how people have benefited from that journey. You being uh, obviously a great example. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, sometimes yeah, look back and have to pinch yourself about the journey and where we've come from to where we are now. And it's, you know, it's interesting over over the years. You know, I've been with Northern Star for almost eleven years now, and you know, the recapitalization of the company that Bill led when he first joined Northern Star, so this is our Executive Chairman Bill Beeman, when he first became Managing Director of Northern Star and you know, recapitalised the company and bought a new asset, the, the recapitalization was actually done under two cents per share. And there are still a couple of holders um, of Northern Star now shares that bought back in that recapitalization back um, over 10 years ago. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's just wonderful to see, right, like people that have been along for the journey and back someone and obviously took a risk you know sometimes when you take risk there is return and that's why people take risk in the first place right so look i mean reflecting on the the northern star sort of business and and where we've gone to is you know you look at it in terms of you know opportunity within what we're doing so it's gone from a, a company that had nothing but a couple of people in an office and an ambition to own a mine to a company that owned a you know, sub 100,000 ounce mine up in the Pilbara back in 2010 was when they bought, um, when Northern Star bought Paulson's. You know, today we've got a, you know, a growth strategy that's going to get us to over 2 million ounces per annum across three different operating centres on two continents, you know, a, a dozen different mines in full-time employment, you're talking five, 6,000 people. So it's been massive growth and, I think that the point of it all is that, you know, in massive growth, you get opportunities and opportunities for career growth along the way. And I think that one of the, the things that we're most pleased about with Northern Star is that we acknowledged early on that success is only going to be achieved. Um, you know, I go back to the point I made earlier about mining is reliant on people and reliance on good people. When you get those people and you know that those people fit into the organisation, they fit into the culture, they fit into the, the, the way of life, then when you have that growth and create new opportunities and new roles, you know, I guess you've got two options. You either bring up the people that are already in the company or you go externally and try and poach people in and hope that they fit what you're doing. We've sort of had a fundamental philosophy in Northern Star of, you know, sure, we'll go out and get people when, when needs persist, but our first choice is to give the opportunity to someone who has, you know, put the work in, who's performing, who fits the culture and fits the opportunity and back them to perform. You know, I think I'm a, 
I'm, I'm a good result of that in that, you know, I started as a, you know, an on-site mining engineer. I was underground manager at Paulson's when Northern Star bought it. And now I've got, you know, a corporate role and, um, you know, I look after mergers and acquisitions and have been in, involved in some, some pretty cool uh, M&A activity over the past couple of years. But, you know, there's examples like that all across Northern Star. You know, there's, I think there's three of our site general managers who just started as, you know, site-based engineers years ago uh, and now are in, you know, site leadership roles and then even further down the tree, and I'm sure Doug's got the same in Tease, of people that came in through our graduate program many years ago are now filling, you know, senior roles and managerial roles within Northern Star. And that's that's been something that we've been the most pleased about is, you know, yes, we've grown a company. Yes, we've grown, you know, our shareholders should be very happy with growth like that, you'd expect. Sometimes they're not always, but you can't control that. But what's really pleasing is to see, you know, the growth of the people through the organisation and, and, you know, they're in, in big, meaty, significant roles and they're, they're absolutely nailing it, which is really good. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's been extraordinary growth and I think uh, I think people want to be in winning teams and I think they want to be in teams that are moving forward because I think that creates opportunity to stretch people and I think when people are driven and ambitious, they want to take on that next challenge. So clearly there's been an abundance of opportunity within the business for those part of it and, and you're a great example of that. Uh, I guess the... The question on the back of that one is you've had quite a bit, bit of diversity in your roles within Northern Star. We're just uh, keen to understand whether or not that was by design or, or default on that, uh, you know, your, your trajectory has sort of navigated and bounced between different roles from site to where you are now. Can you sort of share any insights whether or not that was deliberate or not? Oh, look, I think that... Particularly in mining, if anyone tells you that their you know timeline from a graduate to their position now has been planned from the start, I'd I'd, I'd certainly challenge that. You know, as as Doug said, it, it is really about opportunity. You know, it's about being in the right place at the right time, but more importantly, I think being in the right organisation with the right people around you. You know, that is the people above you that are going to support you to take on new challenges and take on new roles. Because it is a risk, right? You are an unknown commodity at that level. And if you don't have the people above you that support you to, to perform when you get there, then you're just not going to get that opportunity in the first place. And then there's also, you know, the people around you and under you. So, you know, if you haven't developed the people under you to be able to take over your position when that opportunity comes up, then you're not going to be able to move out of your, you're not going to be able uh, to be moved out of your role either because, that's going to leave too big a gap and there's not going to be anyone to, to fill that. So you know, when you have that development culture within an organisation, it, it, it actually creates opportunity for yourself to move up by developing the people below you to take your role. So it's a bit of a contrary thought to some people, you know, that are very protective of their roles sometimes, but really, you know, the best path forward has, has been, you know, being in the right place and the right time to take, to take the roles on above and having the people below that um, you've developed enough to, to take your position. And then, you know, the other side is, um, you know, exactly what Doug said before about knowing yourself and knowing about development and, and skill level. So I had a similar view where when I was on site and I was doing engineering, um, I got exposed to the corporate life a little bit through a previous company and thought, well, I don't really know 
this part of the world. So I went out and sought some additional training, um, some additional knowledge. And I've, I like reading books. I'm a bit old school in that I like reading paper books and particularly, you know, in mining when you're flying on planes a lot, um, it's a good opportunity to sit down and read and try and, you know, focus on areas to, to expand your mind and, and, um, and, you know, get new skills. So I started diving into the business world and the finance world I uh, started doing a course in finance in my spare time. And then as Northern Star got bigger, Bill needed someone to do some business development work. And he knew that I could do the engineering side and just said, right, I come off site, give us a hand, see how you go. Uh, so I did that. And then, you know, that created more opportunity. And, you know, over the years, as those opportunities have sort of arisen, I've been in a fortunate position to oscillate between the business side and the operational side. So an operational role for a couple of years then a business focused role for a couple of years. And, you know, that has um, been good and uh, given me that projection that, that you sort of talked about. And I think, um, you know, obviously there's a performance aspect in it. So if I had a role and then didn't do it to standard and didn't deliver what was expected of me by sort of the people above me, then the next opportunity wouldn't have arisen. Um, but, you know, again, going back to it, the key was that I was in that growth organisation and, and I was supported by good people. And, you know, that's kind of seen, you know, me come through the ranks over the years. And, you know, one of the, the big things, you know, career highlights for me over the past couple of years has been being involved in some pretty serious uh, M&A transactions, including buying 50% of the super pit in Kalgoorlie, which is, you know, a kick of the footy from the WA School of Mines where I did my university degree and um, the recent $16 billion merger of equals with Saracen. And, um, you know, they've been just, just awesome things to be involved in. Absolutely. Now, well, I like that answer for a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, as Douglas said before, uh, you were proactive about uh, acquiring extra knowledge to help you with that uh, career progression, uh, proactively a lot on your own bat by the sounds of it. Um, but I think we talked about the importance of who's above you and who will help you go on your journey. But I think the other thing you talked about there was you've got an obligation to help those beneath you rise as well to backfill where you've come from. But I think to Douglas's point, in the earlier uh, answer, you know, I think there's a, a style of leadership, whether you call it servant leadership or whatever the case is, about giving back to the people to, to help them grow and develop. And if you do that, then by default, as a byproduct, you get to advance yourself as well. I think a lot, a lot of fulfilment and, and no doubt we might touch on that a little bit later. And I think you make a great point, I think, uh, and maybe we can't solve it here on today's podcast, but I think definitely there's a PR opportunity for the industry because everywhere we look, there's derivatives of mining. Our iPhones, the Tesla driving down the road, all derivatives of mining. But often I think that there's a disconnect about that reality. So putting your marketing hat on quickly, Douglas, and putting it on the spot without much notice, do you think that, you know, what what is the solution to, to closing that delta between, you know, the raw material but then, you know, the finished product that we use and, and, and rely on so heavily today, if not, you know, in the surgical field or so many other you know, aerospace, whatever the case is, what is the solution? I think the narrative in the industry needs to change. We need to help people understand that our aspirations are exactly the same as theirs. The only reason for, for the industry to exist is to meet society's needs. They're only going to buy the ounce of gold or the ounce of silver in that 
if society wants it and within a value set that they need. And that is our success and, and survival of society and, and this industry as a subset of society is what is the narrative we're willing to tell that sits alongside that? Not the justification of our industry. We've done that for too long and we're too good at it. We don't need to justify it. It will be there for the fundamentals of what society is calling upon. I think the attraction and the proper understanding of the value add we bring is when the narrative stands next to you want to buy a mobile phone that is made in a particular way that has minerals that's been extracted in the right way and we can meet that need with you as part of society. It's, it's almost the same story but with a different lens on the narrative. It's the end customer's view on how we're meeting their need of buying that end product. Just that we create lots of jobs and we primary industry is not sufficient anymore. That's the grey suit wearing narrative that I have fun with. Great answer there. I think some really good takeaways and insights there. I know, Darren, that you're super passionate about the mining industry as a whole and, and obviously you're WASM alumni, and, and I understand that you do a lot in uh, collaborating with uh, the School of Mines there and, and promoting the industry, but is there any sort of great examples you can share or stories you can share around individuals that have maybe uh, come through that uh, program and chosen a career in mining and what it's done for their lives? Because back to the narrative and the PR, you know, mining enrolments tell us that they're declining, demand is increasing, so there's an issue there. So, you know, can you share any sort of great stories that you've been part of in that regard? Yeah, sure. And um, look, I think there was a couple of really important points touched on by Douglas there as well and yourself about the perception of the mining industry. And I think that, you know, over the past couple of years, we've been fighting as an industry this perception battle and people are not as attracted to mining as, as really they should be, in, in our opinion. I mean, we're, we're in the industry, but, you know, when you look at it from a holistic point of view, you know, the thing that's shielded us as a, as a country, the things that have, you know, really put us on a, a good economic foot as a country has been the mining industry and the strength of the mining industry where we sit now. And, you know, I hope that the narrative of the industry in the wider and greater sort of realms of Australia is is becoming stronger because of this. So, look, I think there's great stories everywhere and maybe people don't know the backgrounds that well of guys like like Bill and, and Rally, right? But you can, Bill Beeman, uh, I mentioned it before, uh, Rally Finlayson, who's now the MD of Northern Star after the Saracen merger. But, you know, these are two guys that built, you know, massive West Australian companies. These guys aren't you know, private school boys from the western suburbs of Perth or the eastern suburbs of Sydney. You know, these are guys that grew up in rural Western Australia. You know, Raleigh was a station kid. Bill was from Esperance, which is a small town on the south coast, and his dad was, a you know, an entrepreneur businessman but, you know, owned a, a small business in Esperance. And they went on to forge great mining careers. They're sort of, you know, in their early to mid-40s now. So there's still a lot of, of you know, work and influence that, that these guys are going to have even in future years. But you look back at these two sort of knockabout country boys and that's really what they are at heart, that through mining, through the pathway that is the, you know, the School of Mines in Kalgoorlie has resulted in 
great companies, you know, the employment of thousands of people and heaps of future opportunities and not just in Western Australia, but, you know, we have a mine in Alaska now and, and a whole bunch of uh, American employees and Australian employees over in Alaska that are, um, you know, doing things the same way that we do things in Western Australia. So really spreading the, the innovation and the, the work methodology that we built and, and refined, you know, in the goldfields of Western Australia and now doing that in the, in the goldfields of Northern America. So, um, look, it's great. And, and, you know, both of those guys as well, you know, you mentioned my involvement in the School of Mines alumni, but, you know, we acknowledge that, you know, we started somewhere, right? So the School of Mines is the place that, you know, taught us and all our, you know, a lot of our peers, a lot of our close friends about, you know, the mining industry gave us this knowledge and this base that we've built off and have been able to start. And, you know, we're passionate about those careers and, and what's happened to us. And we've all given back through this vehicle, which is the, the School of Mines alumni. Um, the School of Mines alumni, you know, works over several different levels. So it goes from everything to from, you know, inspiring high school kids to start a career in mining through to, you know, supporting the students while they're going through the school, giving them industry interaction and, and making it, you know, really valuable for the fact that they're, you know, studying, you know, either at Curtin in Perth or Kalgoorlie in the goldfields, giving that real um, strong industry connection and practical connection to their, their degrees. But we're also supporting the graduates that have come out of the School of Mines. So whether they be fresh graduates, like we had quite a few this year, um, or they've had a few years in the industry or, or even some of the older guys, um, it keeps that connection and it keeps that that really strong culture of the School of Mines um, going forward. And, you know, when you join the School of Mines, it's, it's almost like joining a family, right? You, you get those networks that you can maintain for the rest of your career and, and there's something galvanising about all, all living and partying in Kalgoorlie for a couple of years that... Uh, that really builds that early connection and, and puts you on a good foot to uh, catch up with someone 20 years later and it's like you saw him last week. You know? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe back to the PR piece, you know, I think storytelling is really powerful, right? So I think that, uh, you know, if we tell the story of, you know, the origins of these raw materials, where they end up and the impact on society, as Douglas talked about, I think that's powerful. But also, also think that telling stories of you know uh, your evolution or, or Bill's evolution, you know, from that boy from Esperance to now being a, a central part of the organisation that's been created and the prosperity and opportunity that's been spread across so many uh, different people as part of that journey. I mean, I've uh, I've read uh, you know the the books around you know, Andrew Forrest's evolution, uh, the early stages of Lane Hancock, and all that sort of stuff the entrepreneurial beginnings of Tease. The fact is there's so much opportunity if you apply yourself, if you're entrepreneurial by nature, if you're hardworking, there is just so much upside and opportunity there and so much as the, the, a career in mining and what that brings. And I just don't think we sort of tell those stories enough as what we could. And like say, Douglas, I think it's a really good point. The industry wouldn't exist if society didn't need it. It would simply shut down. But the, the point is... It does need it, and it's uh, going to continue to need it. Its needs may change and all that sort of stuff as rare earths and those sorts of things become more and more in vogue. But the fact is there's an, uh, an ongoing demand for folk to be part of the mining industry, and if it doesn't, there's going to be shortfalls for society. So I think 
uh, storytelling is powerful and I think as an industry we should and must tell those stories more because they, they will resonate and I think uh, a bit like sporting teams success when teams are successful it resonates right down to grassroots and hopefully that impact at grassroots impacts enrolments and, and participation moving forward so I think that's a really good answer on, on, on your sort of part. I want to throw the, the conversation back to Douglas now around We've talked a bit about yourself, but I want, I want to sort of talk about when you're appraising people to become part of your business, what you look for, Douglas, what what are you sort of looking to stand out, uh, what resonates uh, in terms of people that you want to become part of your team? The main factor I look for is people with open minds. And what I mean by that is a person's ability to adapt, learn, be, be open to the fact that there's other views that one can draw from or environments that you can expose yourself and grow within. So that's the primary factor. And coming with that is a person's willingness or openness to be vulnerable because you can only truly learn from a situation or an environment if you're willing to fail or to admit you've got some kind of shortcoming. And if that person isn't willing to fail, they probably wouldn't succeed in a business like TEAS because you've got to push the edge all the time. And uh, you've got to fail sometimes if you push an edge. If you're staying in the safe zone, uh, you're not going to find it and probably becomes a little bit boring. But at the same time, it's beholden in the organisation to make those people feel safe, that if you do fail, we'll come around you and pick you up, not, um, not flog you with it. So there's a double, double-sided uh, accountability to making people with open minds successful in their roles. The other for me is work ethic. Generally, people that come into a business like TIS have had the privilege of an education. And let's be honest, compared to most people in the world, that's a privilege. Um, there's a lot of people in this world that uh, have got great capability, but they aren't offered the opportunities due to circumstance and they're deprived from that, that education. So that's not really what I look for. The education is the backbone. It's the the basics. Thereafter, it's uh, the person's willingness to apply themselves, to apply what they have, and to align behind the business's strategy to fulfil the endeavours of the, the stakeholders and shareholders around it. Those are generally the two strongest traits um, that I look for in, in the roles that I recruit for. There's a host of others that come in, but they find their place in as you go through the recruiting process. And by the time it gets to me, people will have the emotional intelligence that requires for the style of job that you're looking for. Because as we started this discussion, the maths actually becomes really easy. It's the human beings that is what challenges you the more you move in your career and the further you get away from doing the maths yourself. And being able to understand what inspires a person and give them direction and context to fulfil a goal is where the magic happens. And um, that is really, I think, important. But those two fundamental of having an open mind and a work ethic is what I generally look for. I think that's a fantastic answer. And I think the beauty of it is the, the simplicity. You know, like, uh, I think that willingness and, and open mind to learn and also the vulnerability shows a bit of a, a lack of ego, but also a desire to improve and get better and evolve. So I think that's key. And, and yeah, like you said, I don't think there's any substitute for, for work ethic. And uh, those two things combined are pretty powerful. And I think, Ben, you know, you look at, um, 
you look at uh, maybe another add-on to that that we hear quite often through some of those sporting franchises or organisations that enjoy great success is that they, they choose people on their character and maybe that sort of transcends into their fit with the values of the organisation, their alignment on that sort of side of it. So I think if, if you amalgamate those sort of simple things, it goes a long way. So e- easily said, hard to vet and capture sometimes, but I, I do like the simplicity of, of that. So I want to uh, throw to you, Darren, I understand that you're particularly passionate about uh, creating new pathways for people to join the mining industry, which I think there's now never been a more important uh, need to, to get more people in the industry and I understand maybe you, you've uh, tapped into or learned from you know sporting organisations about how they sort of tap into to new talent pools and whatnot so is there anything you can sort of share in that regard? Yeah look there is and um, look I think it's an opportunity to, to even be a bit specific about some of the upcoming events if I can so uh, for people that are based in WA that might be listening if you're in high school and are interested in mining and want to find a little bit more about it. You know, we're in June 2021 now, just to put a timestamp on it uh, as it enters the podcast world. But later this month in Perth, there are two like really awesome events that are aimed at high school students. So, you know, year 10 uh, students that you know, the timing is specifically to assist them in their subject choices for, for senior schools so that they can, you know, see what mining's like and, you know, those events are, um, one is called the Get Into Resources event. So what they do at Get Into Resources is they go to a, a central facility, I think it's at the TAFE, uh, the Metropolitan TAFE in Perth. A bunch of mining companies come and they set up, you know, very interactive and very practical demonstrations, you know, very interactive, very fun across all various careers. So it's not just engineering, it's, it's surveying. We do a search and rescue event there. There's drill and blast demonstrations, you know, all the fun stuff about mining and, you know, very passionate mining professionals that are there. And then all the schools around Perth will all come and rotate through over the, the sort of three days of the event um, to get exposed to, to that and for people to see what those opportunities could be. So that's um, at the end of June here in Perth. There's another one, I think it's a week before that, which is called the Resources Technology Showcase. So that's at the convention centre in the city. Again, that is focused on showing all of the technological advancements and the cool things that you know, that we're doing in mining to anybody that wants to come and see it. So people can do that through school. You know, I'm pretty sure it's open to everyone. So if you're interested in mining and want to find more about it, talk to some passionate people that are in the industry, do your best to make your way to either the Get Into Resources or the Resources Technology Showcase. You know, the other things that, that we do, I mean, one of the big things is you've got to show people what you're doing and you've got to find ways to, to get that out there. Something we do at Northern Star and have done for years is funding mining camps. So, you know, putting people on a bus, taking them out to the gold fields and getting people to visit real mines, visit the School of Mines if they want to go that way. But, you know, talk to people that are on the ground floor and doing the jobs on a day-by-day basis and, um, you know, hopefully that helps people, you know, choose a, a career in mining in the future. Look, these have been really popular and really successful over the past couple of years. And, you know, one of the ones we're really proud of is, you know, at the end of last year, we put together a camp for year 10 to 12 females only. And um, I think we had 30 spots that we were hoping to fill. 
And we had about 350 applications to, to come and do it, which is just phenomenal. And what that did was rather than say, oh, no, we've only got 30, go away, is we got a bit innovative in terms of what other opportunities you could get. So, you know, South 32 has been awesome. They've got some operations that are within driving distance of Perth that they drive people down and, and show them their operations and they can do it in, in a day. The logistics is easier. You know, those camps are going to continue this year in terms of, I think there's one to the Pilbara that's coming up, more in Kalgoorlie, more down to the southwest of WA. But, you know, it's all through Curtin. So if you go through Curtin University mining camps, if you look for that, you, you might be able to find it and, and put a expression of interest to get on one later this year. You know, these are funded by industry. So um, there are certainly plenty of ways now for people if they seek to, to find it to come and actually, you know, experience it for themselves before they take the plunge of choosing what their subjects are going to be for year 11 and 12 or choosing which engineering discipline, for example, you're going to do because first year of engineering pretty much across all universities in Australia now is common. So you have the ability all the way up to the first end of first year to be able to decide, you know, what you want to do. So we give opportunities to show people, showcase to people what mining is all the way up to that end of first year so that if they are that way inclined, that the opportunity is going to be there for them to, to do a mining discipline and um, get involved that way. I think they're two great initiatives and hopefully we can see more of that, you know, in terms of the uh, get into mining uh, open days, if you like. I think that's uh great way to sort of connect with the industry but I love that idea of the mining camps I think that's fantastic I think that's fantastic for a couple of reasons one to give uh, individuals an appreciation uh, firsthand and and in person of what the mining industry is and and obviously the first time I went to the super pit the uh, PC8000s look like ants down the bottom and and then you see them in the flesh and you realize how big they are so I think that's uh, that's awesome also, I think parents would be very happy to ship their kids off in school holidays uh, to have something to do for them. So I think there's a, a double edge or a double win to that as well. So, But it's just simple, isn't it? And, and I remember as a, as a 14-year-old going to the McRae's Gold Mine in New Zealand, and it really did open your mind to the whole industry. I think there's a, a level of respectfully ignorance around where all these materials come from that show up in cars and phones and all the rest of it. So to see it firsthand, it really does open your mind and it is quite inspiring. So I think there there are a couple of great strategies or insights in terms of how we expose people to the mining industry and hopefully get them to connect to that. So I guess just staying with you before we sort of throw back over to Douglas, how would you personally sell, you know, to those students that might be in years sort of 10 through 12, how would you sell, I guess, the upside of a career in mining? Look, the upside is that, you know, mining's a critical industry And it is all about opportunity. So there's such a massive range of, you know, really rewarding roles within mining. Every discipline you could think of has a mining application. And one of the the huge benefits of it, and I said this at the start, what really resonated with me is that that quick feedback. So you're never going to be, if you're in mining, you know, even our corporate office roles have some kind of site-based requirement to them that you actually get out there and you see the effect of you know, the decisions that you make on a day-by-day basis on the way that the mining operations are running 
and it's really rewarding, I think, to to see that you know, get that immediate feedback of um, you know your influence on the operations and you know, getting that reward for effort. So I think Douglas touched on it as well, but the opportunities are out there for those that are willing to you know roll their sleeves up and get involved, and those that want to go out there and make a difference and you can have a really, really rewarding career from it. Yeah, fantastic. And, and what would you sort of add on the back of that, Douglas? I, I think I could only echo uh, the comments made. This this industry has uh, opportunity in role that you can evolve. You can come in one area, be it HR, and you can evolve your career that at the end of the day you, you run in the organisation. It, it doesn't limit one. That's the other exciting thing. I was chatting to one of our operators at Lake Vermont the other day, and she was an operator. And uh, with us bringing autonomous dozers and drills onto site, she expressed an aptitude and an inclination and she's retrained herself. And she's one of our gun operators, as we use the terminology in, our, in the business now, in our autonomy area. And how she's taken the opportunities that industries have provided her and reshaped her career. But for a person who's looking into the industry at the moment, I'd say the biggest excitement is the opportunity you're coming into an industry that is needed. It's very well funded. Society needs it. And the biggest thing is the industry itself knows it needs to change to meet society's future's needs. So you're coming in at a time where you can set the course. You can change things. You can help shape the world effectively. I know that sounds a little cliche, but what other industries are going to offer that? Probably in, in the people that might be listening to this year, 10 and 12s, lifetime that you can come in and look back on a career that would be usually rewarding but say, I made a real difference to capture what Daryl was saying in an industry that wanted to change. It could be easy to stand on the outside and comment and have an opinion, but so much rewarding if you get in the middle of it and help shape it. I think that would that would light my lights up if I was 20-odd years younger, probably I'm flipping to myself 30 years younger than the audience. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think both fantastic answers uh, on that side of it, and I think uh, I was speaking to an ex-BHP uh, leader the other day, and he was encouraging, and no doubt his son will listen to this podcast, around the fact that the societal needs is only going to increase its reliance on the mining industry. There appears to be a, a dipping demand, uh, sorry, supply of individuals entering the industry, so he was sort of trying to po point out the obvious that, joining the industry with the abundance of opportunity and dipping supply will mean a lot of opportunity for you if you choose a career in mining and, and, and how quick you can uh, advance and uh, enjoy some of the opportunities out there. So I think uh, there's no doubt there's an abundance of opportunity out there for those that are considering it and, and maybe listening to this podcast or some of those mining camps or, or those things might inspire, let's hope, one or two people to do that, if not a lot more. So listen of your guys' time, I could uh, sit here all day and, and pep you guys with questions because, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying the conversation. But I guess I'd fire one last question. We'll start with Darren on that. And maybe this ties back to the, the storytelling and the power of storytelling. But in one sentence, if you could sort of wrap up what a career in mining has given you and all your family, Darren, what would you say? Mate, it's such a huge question. I mean, it's given us everything that we have and – the most important thing of it all is that I've worked, you know, I've been in the industry now post-uni for 20 years and it's not about, you know, what it's given us in a physical sense, but 
it, you look back and look at the achievements, you know, the, the fantastic things that we've been able to do. I mean, I've, I've travelled the world. I've done hugely important things at a site level and at a corporate level. And more importantly, and, and I think the most important thing of it is the quality of the people that I've worked with over the time, the relationships that I've had, the friends I've made from this, you know, mining industry, it's it just so fantastic. So my three-word summary of it is that mining is awesome and um, anyone thinking about getting into it uh, should just give it a go because it's just it's just great. Now, fantastic. And, and obviously there may not be a, a visual component to this podcast, but you can just sort of tell the emotion that sort of sweeps over your face as you sort of remark on some of those things. It's obviously had a, a huge impact on, on you and your life. So I think that's a Awesome answer and, and no pr- pressure, Douglas, but we're going to get you for the uh, the final word. <laughs> uh, very similar. Look, it's amazing how the, the tangible assets that the industry has given me and my family, you know, are appreciated but pale in comparison to what Darren was talking about is the people you meet, the experiences you have. You know, if I look back, how did a farm boy from Africa whose aspiration was probably to run a, a couple of hundred head of cattle on a farm get to where I, I sit in boardrooms around the world negotiating some of the deals that I've, I've done or get down in the middle of a pit and solve a, a complex mining and engineering problem sometimes. It's a bit of a Forrest Gump moment every now and again. <laughs> so the exposure and opportunity and life skills I think it's given myself and my family I can only describe as a blessing. It's probably the most befitting word. For me, it's the industry is, if you look at it on a mine side scale, it's a hole in the ground. It's the people you put around that hole in the ground that make it the fantastic place that it is and creates what it has. And that's where I draw my my biggest enjoyment from uh, is those life experiences with other people and probably shape the stories we tell when we get older and our eyes get a little bit glazier. No, well, I think you guys are both wonderful examples of what a career in mining can bring and obviously the impact that uh, it can have for good. I mean, you guys have both talked about the humanistic and people component of the mining industry and uh, the opportunities, the impact on families, communities in that regard, but the camaraderie and the mateship that comes from working side by side in those sorts of environments as well. And I think we've gone some way today to talk about the impact that the mining industry has on society and will continue to have on society in that regard and, and uh, I guess what a, a career in mining can bring those that are part of it. So I think this is a, a narrative we've all got to continue and I'm grateful that you guys have taken the time to, to sort of share your versions on that. But, yeah, I, I would just sort of finish with saying thanks and Congratulations with what you guys have achieved in, in the industry and, and look forward to respectively watching what you guys do from here. But thanks so much for giving up your time and, and sharing some of those stories. It's been wonderful to be part of it and uh, and hopefully share that to, to inspire others to, to join the industry. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, Sean. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening in. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, please forward on to anyone who may also uh, get some value from it, but I really appreciate you taking the time to listen in. Thank you. Thank you for listening to StellarCast. This show aligns with why Robbie McIlwraith and Sean McCambridge co-founded the company. Their mission was to help and nurture others to reach and exceed their potential. 
For trusted recruitment and career advice, contact Stella today.